Well, uh, turn with me uh, to uh, the Bible. Uh, it's up on the screen, the passage we're looking at. Exodus uh, chapter 50, page 49, 46 rather, in the uh, church uh, Bible. Page 46 in the Black Church Bible. Exodus chapter 3. Remember, we've, uh, we've heard of uh, God's people who, who came down into uh, Egypt uh, because of that, uh, that, that famine in the land. Uh, and God has preserved his people, indeed. They flourished and multiplied. Uh, there's been a, a fruitfulness about them, even in the midst of their bitter circumstances, their circumstances of slavery. Uh, and then we've uh, seen in chapter 2 how uh, one of uh, uh, the babies born, born with a death sentence over his head, how God has delivered him uh, from a land of slavery through waters of death, the, death, uh, the, the, the waters of the Nile, uh, to be raised again uh, as a prince. Uh, and this is the one whom God will use uh, to uh, save his people uh, so, uh, we're in uh, chapter 3. Let us read uh, God's sure and true uh, word. Uh, now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Uh, when the Lord saw uh, that he turned aside to see God, uh, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Uh, then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, uh, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me. What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So reads God's short and true word. Do keep that uh, passage of uh, the Bible open in front of you uh, this morning. And let us just pray again. Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning that you have spoken, that your word is true and sure, and that we can know you. And so we pray this morning, open up our eyes, warm our hearts, that we might see and hear and know and delight in the God of our salvation. O oh Lord. Uh, we ask, bring glory to your name through your word preached. In Jesus' name we'd ask it. Amen. What will Putin's next move be? How hard will the cost of living crisis, how hard will it hit this year? Did Boris know there was a party going on or not? They're the questions, aren't they, that have been filling our TV screens, our radio broadcasts, our internet uh, feeds again this week. Uh, some questions more um, pressing than others. Some questions more enduring than others. And then there are some questions, aren't there, which are vital, which are of eternal significance. Who is God? What is God like? We cannot know God, can we, unless he makes himself known to us. We're not going to be able to discover God on our own. He makes himself known to us. He reveals himself to us. We've said as we've been making our way through this book of Exodus that the whole focus of the book is simply that people do not know God, do not know what God is like. We've got all kinds of wrong ideas about him. And God is the God who answers our questions, who teaches us about himself, a book, so that we can know him. Indeed, we want to say, don't we, that that is, in a sense, the focus of the whole of the Bible. It is God's revealing of himself so that we might know him. And in this passage, uh, we learn about God. We learn about God's name. We learn about what God is like, that he is faithful and that he is fearsome. They're the things I want us to focus on uh, this morning, that our God is uh, both faithful and fearsome. Look at uh, our first point there. God is both faithful and fearsome. We see that, I think, just in the first uh, six verses of this chapter. Uh, Moses, remember, he's been this shepherd in, in the wilderness in Midian. He's been there for the last 40 years. Uh, Moses, at this stage, he's 80 years old. I'm looking around. I'm guessing, therefore, Moses is older than anyone here this morning. 
It's been 40 years uh, since, at the age of 40, he scarpered, fled out of Egypt in fear of Pharaoh. In the previous chapter, we saw how 40-year-old Moses, full of faith in God's promise, was keen uh, to, uh, to move to save God's people from their plight. But Moses has gone from being uh, the Egyptian prince uh, to being a fugitive on the run to now living a life as a, as a settled shepherd. Moses' life has been turned upside down. And then one day, without warning, God shows up. Look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Initially, we're told that Moses doesn't realise it's God. It's it just a really odd uh, sight. A bush on fire and yet not burned up. None of the leaves, none of the branches burns away. The angel of the Lord, we're told, who appears. And not just one of God's angels, but God himself. And that is clear from what we read, isn't it, in the rest of the passage. In verse 4, we're told, when the law saw that Moses turned aside. In verse 6, uh, uh, the God speaks, I'm the God of your fathers. No mere messenger, God appearing. Not God appearing as he is in himself, not God appearing in his essence. Man cannot see God and live. But, but a, a manifestation, a, a visible form that the human mind can comprehend. And, and so Moses looks and he hears God speak from out of the midst of the bush. God says, verse 4, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. God clearly knows who Moses is, doesn't he? He knows uh, Moses, knows him by name. Often in the Bible, when God seeks to, to get someone's attention, when God wants to make himself known, uh, when God is about to use somebody, he's going to call them to, to, to make use of them. Often in the Bible, we find that God repeats their name. Genesis uh, 46 Jacob, Jacob. 1 Samuel, chapter 3, Samuel, Samuel. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, remember, on the road to Damascus. And so here, Exodus chapter 3, Moses, Moses. God making himself known. God opening up a revelation of himself. And Moses replies, here I am. And God says, stop. Stop. Verse 5, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Do not approach. The fire that did not burn the bush would burn Moses if he were to approach further. Take off your shoes. You stand in the presence of God, which makes the very ground on which you are standing holy. And now we need to be clear, don't we? The, what was the ground like? It, it, it was just wilderness, wasn't it? It was just ordinary, dusty scrubland. Maybe a little bit of grass for the sheep. You, went, you go back uh, to uh, where this happened today. 
Can you keep your shoes on? Yes, you can. It is just earth. But God's presence at that moment made it holy. We want to say, don't we, there are no places today that are kind of permanently holy places. No need for us to go on pilgrimage to places uh, because the ground, the, the place itself is, is somehow holy. If we want to be in a holy place today, what are we to do? We're to gather where God has promised to be present in the midst of his gathered worshipping uh, people as we're doing uh, now. That's how, where God has promised to reveal himself with the gathered church of the Lord Jesus. And God said, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We read in Genesis 15, 500 years earlier, God appeared to this pagan man, Abraham of, the, of Ur of the Chaldeans. God had called Abraham to himself, committed himself with promises to Abraham and to his children. I will be your God and you will be my people. The same promises made to Abraham then repeated to, to, to Isaac and to his son Jacob. And now the same God appears to Moses. Here I am, the same God who made that promise, and I've not forgotten, and I've not changed. And how does Moses respond? Verse 6, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Fear. There's a tension, isn't there, in this passage? Moses, known by God, welcomed by God, uh, called out kindly by God, spoken to, uh, by, uh, spoken to by God with, with kindly, reassuring words. And Moses hides his face in fear, terrified. Moses, Moses, I'm the God of your father. Reassuring, encouraging words. And, and, and Moses, he covers his face in fear of God. God, who is both faithful... God who remembers his promises, God who calls Moses by name, and God who is at the same time fearsome. Uh, the flame of fire in the midst of the bush that doesn't burn the bush, it is a, it, it, it's a picture to us, isn't it? It's not just a, a beacon to somehow grab Moses' attention. Hang on, what's that light? No, no, it, it, it is a picture to us, a picture of God's holy presence uh, there, Often, God's presence in Scripture is seen as flames, as fire. We saw that in Genesis 15. We'll come back to that in a moment. Moses, he covers his face because God is teaching here something new. That he is the, the, the awesome, the holy God. That God is a, is a consuming, flaming fire. And yet... A, bur a bush that does not burn. God is a consuming, flaming fire who will dwell in the midst of his people, a fire in the midst of the bush, and yet his people will not be consumed. The holy God in the midst of his people, and they will not be destroyed. Just think, we all know, don't we, fire naturally destroys it's not a natural thing. It's not an easy thing for God to dwell in the midst of his people. 
It is a, mir a, a miraculous thing that God's people are not destroyed by God uh, dwelling in his holiness in the midst of his people. The tension here between God's faithfulness and God's consuming holiness, his, his fearsomeness. A, a flame of fire in the midst of a, of a non-consumed bush. And as I say, there are echoes of, of that passage in, in Genesis 15. There God makes his covenant promise to Abraham. Uh, we read Abraham instructed to, to lay those animals, cut out the carcasses in two, lay them on the ground in two rows with a passage in between them. And then we read in Genesis 15, verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, what is it that passes through the, uh, the, the bits of our animal body? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made covenant with Abraham. Here is the, the, the holy living God making covenant making promises he gives his name to i will keep my promise i will bless you i will be your god i'll be the god of your descendants and i will do it on pain of bloodshed god saying abraham may it be uh, between me and you uh, even so, that if I, if I fail to keep my promise, may I be as these slain animals. May my blood be shed, so long as the covenant promises I have made to you be kept. Who is God? God is faithful. God is fearsome. And I think in the, in the rest of this passage, back in Exodus uh, 3, uh, we kind of get echoes of those two uh, things, uh, those two themes are, are continued. Uh, in verses uh, 7 to 12, uh, the next point, I, I think we see that God is uh, faithful. That, that's where the focus is. Look at verse uh, 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. If you were with us last week, just do, do, remember how the, the, the previous chapter ended. Let's look at verse um, 23 of chapter 2. It's the word of, the, of the, the narrator of Exodus. We're told during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The words of the narrator. God knew all about his people's plight. He knew all about their slavery in Egypt. He knew all about their misery in the land of death. Nothing was hidden, nothing was forgotten by God. And now here, as God reveals himself to Moses... To inform him that Moses, indeed, I have seen, I have heard their cries. I do know the plight of my people. And it's the same verbs used in verse 7 and 8 and again in verse 9, as we saw at the end of the last chapter. Moses, I know. I care deeply. I have heard their cries. On Ascension Sunday, this is an Ascension passage, isn't it? Just think, uh, where is Moses? He's on the top of Mo Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. 
uh, where uh, the Ten Commandments are received. Uh, Moses ascends uh, Horeb, the mountain of God. God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush. But it's, it's not for Moses' sake, is it, that he's up there. Moses gets this revelation from God in order uh, that uh, his people uh, will benefit, God's people will benefit. Moses uh, ascends for the sake of his people so that God will know him. And verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and a broad land, the land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God will keep his promise made to Abraham. God said he would bless, and God will bless. That is the, the rest of the story of Exodus, isn't it? That is, in, in a sense, the rest of the story of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, indeed of the whole uh, Bible. God will do what he has said. Verse 7, God says, I know their plight. Verse 8, I will deliver them. Verse 7, God says, I, I see their affliction. Verse uh, 8, God says, I will keep my promise. And, and so sure can Moses be that God then repeats himself in verse 9, and then God instructs Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, verse 10, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And if we were here last week, if we've read anything of the, the, the previous chapter, if we've seen Moses 40 years earlier, we're thinking, yes, it's, it's all about to happen. Moses, we saw last time, he understood God would give his people salvation by his hand. Moses, remember, was the one who was drawn out of the waters of death by God so that God might use him to draw his people out of uh, their slavery. But, verse 11, Moses said to God, God, I, I'm ready to go. God, I'm, I'm ready for action. I've been waiting for you for the last 40 years. No, no. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses doesn't want to go back to Egypt. M Moses has been around this loop before. Moses knows how this story ends. Moses feels his weakness. He, he knows from painful experience that he isn't up to the job. What does God say in reply? But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Just notice what God doesn't say here. God doesn't say to Moses, oh, come on, Moses, you're better than you know. Come on, Moses, you've just been a bit hard on yourself. Stop talking yourself down, Moses. You know, you, you've learned a, a, an awful lot over the last 40 years, Moses. You can do it. God isn't a therapist. God isn't interested, is he, in, in boosting Moses' self-confidence. Moses is right to feel his weaknesses here. Moses isn't able. Uh, Moses is far too weak for the work that God ha has ahead for him. And yet we need to grasp that's no excuse for Moses not to obey. Moses 
It's not who you are. It's who I am. Moses, it's not your competency, but mine. And I am competent, says God. I am able. God didn't leave. God didn't let Moses down 40 years previously. 40 years in the wilderness. It was all part of God's plan. And God would not let Moses down now. Friend, this morning, I, I think it can be difficult for us, can't it? If we've been through painful times in the past, if we think, especially if we've, if we've failed in some big way in the past, it, it can be difficult for us to trust God in, in stepping into those circumstances again. And the world assures us, doesn't it, that the answer is just for us to build up our self-esteem, to realise how good we really are. But can you see, God is not interested in building, in boosting our esteem. God is not interested in, in making us feel good about ourselves. That is not gospel, is it? God wants us to feel our weakness. And he wants us to feel our weakness because it is real. We are not able to be the people that God wants us to be in and of our own strength. But God wants us to obey. God wants us to be full of confidence all the same. Confident not in ourselves, but confident in him, our God. You see, God isn't setting Moses up to fail here, is he? God will deliver his people. He will bring them to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, to worship him. And 16 chapters later, Exodus chapter 19, God will have done just that. But that's just, uh, that's just what Moses needs to grasp here. That's what maybe we need to grasp. So many people today, they want God as their therapist. A God who will tell them, you can. But God is not a therapist, he is a saviour, isn't he? God wants us to know, to trust. Not that I can, but that he can. I know, says God, I will save, I have seen. I will keep my promise. In the darkness of hardship and sadness, God sees. When our prayers are unanswered, God hears. God knows his salvation will come. Who's God? What is God like? In the Lord Jesus Christ, God's revealed himself as the God who keeps his promises to save. God's the faithful one who keeps his promises that he's made at great cost to himself. In Christ, God is the God who keeps his promises, though it costs him his very blood. If God has been that faithful we can be sure that we can trust him to be faithful in all things. God is faithful. Uh, friends, uh, we need to hear that God is faithful today. We, we hear that God is, is faithful, and we're not even quite sure what that means today, do we? We expect, don't we, our leaders to, to, to lie to us. We expect our po uh, politicians to promise us the world, and then just fail to deliver. We, we expect it to happen. We think as a, as a society, you know what, it, it's no big deal if the, if the prime minister, if, if our leader is caught red-handed in bare-faced dishonesty and lies. Let's just move on to the next uh, news item. Why do we think like that? Because 
We all lie. We all deceive one another all of the time, don't we? That's what we're like as a society. We'll keep the law unless we think somehow uh, we can dodge the consequences of breaking it. We'll honour the contract unless it becomes inconvenient, stops us doing what we really want. We'll commit to marriage unless it becomes unfulfilling. We are strangers to faithfulness. But God is faithful. He keeps his word. And we find that incredibly hard to believe. Can I really trust it? No end of uh, people who, who say to me as a, as a minister, it's, it's the trust bit. I just find it hard to trust. God is faithful. That we can trust God will keep his promise, that he'll do what he said, that he is faithful. Some of the men uh, were reading Kent Hughes' uh, Disciplines of a, of a Godly Man. And there's an example uh, that we've just read in one of the chapters of a man who stepped down from his uh, position as the president of a, of a theological college uh, uh, after uh, a, a good time of uh, service. He, he could have carried on. Uh, he was doing a great job. But he stepped down after his wife of 42 years began to suffer with Alzheimer's disease. And explaining the move to the students and the staff of the uh, the, the college, he said this. He says, the decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do we part. Uh, true faithfulness is beautiful, isn't it, when we see it? Even in broken and, 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 and falling and failing ways in other people. But we need to grasp God is faithful. Our God, the one true God, is faithful. But then secondly, uh, I want us towards the end of this passage, we see that God is not only faithful, that he is also truly fearsome. That God is fearsome. Look at verse 13 with me. Then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, uh, the God of your fathers has sent me uh, to you, uh, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? That is a good question, I think. There are so many so-called gods that people worship, people live for, people give themselves to. Who shall I say has sent me, says Moses? Abraham's, uh, sorry, Israel's fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they'd known God as the Lord. It wasn't as though God had not revealed himself to them. And yet the significance of his name, Yahweh, what it meant for God to be the Lord... Well, that awaited the revelation of what God would do in the Exodus. One commentator puts it like this. The Lord's name may only be known through the mighty acts and fatherly compassion that uh, comprises Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. The Exodus unveils the, the being and the attributes of God as no other event thus far. To experience the Exodus is to learn about God himself. God who's revealed himself as the Lord will now, through delivering his people from their slavery, he will show what it means. This is what it means that I am the Lord. I think just as a slight excursion, I think that's helpful for us when we think about God being a Trinity, one God in three persons. You see, Old Testament believers, they, they worshipped the same God as us, didn't they? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
But it's only in the exodus of the cross and resurrection and ascension and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ to pour out his spirit upon his people that the, the, the being of God, who God is, is, um, is unveiled to his people more clearly. To be caught up in the cross work and the resurrection of Christ is for us to learn about what it means for God to be our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here, uh, back at Horeb, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's one of those verses, isn't it, that we come across in Scripture, and it immediately just thinks, oh, that's probably an important verse, and we're not quite sure exactly what it means. I am who I am. When we define ourselves, when we speak about ourselves, we necessarily speak about ourselves in relation to other people, don't we? So I, I am David. That's the name that my parents gave me. It's already uh, speaking of uh, somebody has named me. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a minister, I'm Welsh. Your job, who you work with, your friends, your neighbours, your spouse, your children, are all definitions of who you are in relation to others. As humans, we belong, we necessarily belong to other people. Relations to other people necessarily define who we are. But that is because we're made to be dependent, isn't it? But that's not what God is like. That's not who God is. I am who I am. God is not defined by others. Our God is self-dependent, isn't he? God does not refer to others in trying to define who he is. I am, he says. God only mentions God. He, he is life fueled by itself life needing no other god does not need us god is not dependent on anything his identity is all from himself god is without us without others before god created god is love likewise god is holy not holy because he's in relation to us, but rather holy in himself. He doesn't need us. He is utterly different from us. Friends, if this morning we would know what God is like, we need to grasp God is not like us. He alone is self-existent. He doesn't need us. And yet he makes us for himself. God also said to Moses, say uh, to this people of Israel, verse 15, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has already uh, sent me to you. And again, we're meant to feel the tension. God is, I am who I am, totally self-dependent without reference to any others. And verse 15, uh, God is the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God who doesn't need us and the God who keeps his promises and seeks us out. So often I think we, we seek to, to, to resolve that tension in a, in a wrong, in an unhelpful way. If God doesn't need me, if God is totally and completely fulfilled in himself, therefore God surely doesn't really love me if he doesn't need me. 
No, that's not true. God seeks us out, therefore, God must need me. God must be reliant upon me. No, that's not true, is it? God is both the Lord, self-reliant, and the faithful promise keeper. Holding those two things in tension is glorious. God doesn't need Moses. God knows Moses is a weak failure, even more than Moses knows it. But God will use Moses. God will use Israel. God will use his people, not for his benefit, but for ours. Friends, if God doesn't need us, then all of his promises to us, all of them are not for, our, not for his benefit, but for ours. Our worship. We come to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, we, 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 we sing, we pray, we listen to God's word. Is it for God's benefit? No, for ours. Our worship, it doesn't add to God's glory, does it? God could not be more glorious than he has always been. Our worship is for our good. God doesn't need your obedience, does he? You're not doing God a favour by obeying him. Oh, friend, can you see that if God doesn't need us, then we can be sure that he truly, that he really loves us. His love expressed in those covenant promises that he's made to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not to try and twist our arm to get something from us. The word of God made flesh, the word of God laid in a manger with the infirmities of our flesh and blood, the word of God despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He heads to the cross, heads to suffering, heads to death. Not that he might secure riches for himself. He is, I am, the self-existent one. He heads to suffering and death that he might pour out his riches, that he might pour out his grace, his mercy upon us. Oh, friend, who, who is God? Let me say, if, if you've come to church this morning and, and, and you're not uh, really, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, let me say, this is the God who you do not know. Uh, the God who does not need you. The I am. And yet, who even this morning, he calls you to come to him, to be blessed by him. And if we are seeking to, to, to know this God in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we do believe and trust in God's faithful promises to us in the Lord Jesus. Oh, friends, we need to grasp, we are to fear this God. Do we fear God? Our God is a fearsome God. He has no need of us. And yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, he loves us freely. He calls us, keeps his promises to us faithfully.